You're listening to a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3RRR FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Professor Andrew Walter, Interim Director of the Melbourne School of Government. Andrew joined me in the studio to discuss the UK election campaign and the various policy platforms of the two major parties, the Tories and Labor. We also discussed the changing nature of UK politics and what impact this might have on the current election and future ones. So, uh, as promised, we have a special guest in the studio here. He's uh, Professor Andrew Walter, Interim Director of the Melbourne School of Government, and we were very delighted to have Andrew join us uh, a month or so ago to discuss Brexit and the the fallout and implications of that. And now we have Andrew back uh, to give us all the lowdown on the UK election because uh, people are going to be voting soon, aren't they, Andrew? And thanks for joining us. They are. Thanks, Amy. It's nice to be here. No, it's good. Two days, two and a half days. Yes, it's kind of... I'm a bit glad, actually, that we're getting to that point. I know it's not my election to vote in, but um, I'm feeling the anticipation all the way across the ocean. Yeah, well, it's building up. It's been less than three weeks, of course. I mean, British elections are blessedly, you know, short, sharp and sweet, or or not. Or not, Mm. yes. Well, and we've seen that a great deal has actually occurred during this election campaign in terms of major events. Um, And as we know, there's the the Manchester attacks um, and then now there's three other attacks that were in London, um, all terrorism. Uh, This is something which is traditional Tory ground, security, uh, terrorism, and often you'll see um, that people will swing back to a Tory government when these types of major events uh, arise. But the polling doesn't show that, does it? No, it doesn't. And and look, no one thought, including, I guess, Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labor Party, that we would have been here um, 10 days ago, a week ago even. Uh, when the manifestos were launched, uh, the Conservatives were 17 points ahead of an average of polls. And now on the average... Yeah, that is massive. That would have led to a landslide that we, you know, we would have seen Conservative governments from here to kingdom come, which I guess was is the ultimate aim of Brexit in the eyes of the delusional right and the mm. Tory party. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, now we're at an average of 7% lead, which is still large and as an average, but some polls uh, have Labour as a minority government. So it's up for grabs uh, and that, as you say, those terrorist attacks, one would normally have expected them to shift the ground in favour of the right and, and they haven't. And that's because Theresa May is very vulnerable on police cuts in particular yes. and of course you know these events have happened on the watch of the conservatives yes well it's hard to say i'll protect you when they were the ones in government yeah. when people are feeling not protected yeah exactly and you know jeremy corbyn is talking a good game of saying theresa may as home secretary in the cameron government uh, before this one mm. was responsible for nearly twenty thousand police cuts and Theresa May's response to that has been, well, uh, the chief of police says that they're resourced fine. I mean, yeah. isn't that a little <laughs> bit of a cop-out to bring in or politicise someone, you know, the, the leader of the police like yeah, that? Absolutely. And, of course, she has to do what she's told. Uh, so she has to stay on message and she can't be seen to be political. So Theresa May is exploiting uh, that vulnerability on the part of Cressida Dick, uh, the head of the police. So, yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's a bit below 
below the belt. Mm. Um, but, you know, she's desperate. Uh, she's running scared at the moment. Yes, because she was the one who called this election. It was yeah. an unnecessary election. Uh, uh, clearly she wanted a mandate or a personal mandate to negotiate Brexit and she thought that this was really what they needed to be able to have that force within Parliament to push back against Labor. I mean, is this a bit of a failed strategy? Well, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, you look back at past prime ministers, including in this country, that took over in effect by stealth and didn't have a popular mandate. And you can understand why people like Linton Crosby and others would have said to Theresa May at the time, you don't have a popular mandate. You were in effect um, the prime minister by default after all of those other mm. people fought it out and uh, to the death. Uh, yeah, she just swung in at the end, she didn't did. she? She did, and she was pro-Remain during the campaign, albeit very very weakly and sitting, you know, very much, uh, you know, on the sidelines in a sense. Um, and uh, so, you know, one would have... Uh, that argument would have been made quite strongly to her and, of course, they were so far ahead in the polls and Jeremy Corbyn was seen as such a weak, far-left, extreme leader uh, that would make Labor unelectable. So it was an opportunity that they, you know, I guess understandably chose to take. Mm. Well, I mean, let's quickly look at Jeremy Corbyn, who he's had a very tumultuous time as leader of the Labor Party, and we've seen challenges, leadership challenges to Jeremy Corbyn only semi-recently. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that he's still even there, yeah. um, but is he now solidifying his position in Labor, or is there still a bit of disgruntled feeling and sentiment in the Labor ranks against Jeremy? Oh, well, look, as we know, Amy, um, about three quarters of his parliamentary colleagues do not like him, and do not support his uh, him as leader. Um, and let's just quickly explain that to the listeners because yes. when we have these party leadership votes, not only does the caucus vote or the party, like parliamentarians themselves, but we also have party members, average Labor, you know, voters and members who also get a say. Yeah, well, and this was an innovation brought in by Ed Miliband, the previous leader, um, after he lost the election um, and uh, basically people could sign up for four pounds, uh, become Labor members, get a vote on the leadership, and they effectively overwhelmed the parliamentary party, which previously had controlled uh, leadership selection. So we've got a situation in which, absolutely, we've got a leader of the Labor Party in power who's supported above all by the young, activist, uh, new members of the Labor Party. And by the way, some of those four pound uh, new members were not real Labor members. No, uh, they were yeah. people who, you know, were voting tax because they thought, get Corbyn in and he will make Labor unelectable. Um, so, uh, you know, this was an amazing situation in which we had someone elected leader who most uh, members of the parliamentary party thought would make Labor unelectable. Mm. Now, they may be changing their minds because I think Corbyn has not only surprised the Conservatives and people like Linton Crosby um, and Theresa May, um, but he's also surprising many uh, within the Labor Party who are now starting to flock to his side and saying, you know, Jeremy's our guy. <laughs> amazing how amazing. people can uh, mm. change their position. Uh, well, you know, self-interest uh, <laughs> is a very powerful driver of human behaviour. Sure is. Well, I mean, it's true if, you're, if your seat is in jeopardy, but he looks right. like he might save it. It is time to get behind the leader. Yeah.
Some people are playing a you know difficult game because um, you know some people are not quite aligning themselves with him, and it's difficult if you've been a, an open opposer of Corbyn's leadership, say someone on the right of the Labour Party, um, to to flock to his side. But on you know it's also complicated that it, by the fact that a number of these people are also campaigning in constituencies uh, that voted strongly pro Remain or pro Leave in the Brexit campaign, and so they're. they're dealing with that very tricky, difficult situation, Labour has opted uh, to accept the result of the referendum and but to campaign in favour of getting a good deal for Britain and a better deal that they argue the Conservatives would achieve. Yeah, well, let's look. What is the, the differentiator, the differentiating factors between what Theresa May will do uh, in terms of negotiating Brexit and then what Jeremy Corbyn proposes to do? Because there are some key differences here that mm. may sway people. Yeah. Well, it's difficult to say, to be honest, because Theresa May isn't giving much away um, in terms of what she actually wants and aspires to achieve from the Brexit negotiations. All she has said is that her leadership will be strong and stable. She's the best place to get a ring, a good deal from those recalcitrant Europeans who, of course, uh, are all, you know, all 27 of those Europeans are incredibly unified. Um, And so it's going to be difficult for anyone to get a good deal and for either side to say that they can get a better deal. Uh, You know, that's that's, uh, in many ways a leap of faith. So we don't know really what kind of Brexit Theresa May wants. Mm. She said that she will walk away um, rather than accept a bad deal. But, of course, walking away would be the worst of all possible deals. Well, they've already sent the letter, given it to them to express that they're leaving. Yeah. That's just going to be hugely problematic, isn't it, to renege on that and you've already started the process of leaving mm. and putting all those bureaucrats in place and starting the negotiations. Yeah. Surely you need to, to kind of err one side or the other. Yeah, well, you know, I think, um, I mean, Theresa May says that she will get a good deal. Um, so does so does Jeremy Corbyn. He says that he will get, uh, so he wants to assure not a hard Brexit, but a Brexit that will retain British access to key goods markets in particular. Now, that's that's playing to those traditional constituencies in the, in the Midlands and the north of England who defected to UKIP um, during uh, the elections. Now, Theresa May calculated that those UKIP voters would largely flock to the Conservatives as they have. UKIP, the UKIP vote has collapsed. They were a one-issue party and they've had internal leadership mm, uh, Well, Nigel Farage is no longer. Yeah. Well, exactly. So... Both sides are playing a tricky deal. They're trying to attract votes that drifted elsewhere um, during the referendum. Um, May's, you know, strong and stable leadership was meant to appeal to the core Conservative vote uh, plus the UKIP voters. Jeremy Corbyn is trying to ensure that those traditional working class voters, who's, uh, after all, their livelihoods are at stake with a loss of access um, to to Britain's largest, the largest market in the world, the European Union. Um, So there's a lot at stake here. And, you know, a subtle Labour argument could potentially bring back some of those voters. Now, we'll see um, yeah. in two days. Well, I mean, there are a couple of things that are interesting about what Labor proposed 
proposes, including replacing the so-called Great Repeal Bill with an EU Rights and Protections Bill that will ensure that there are no changes to workers' rights or environmental protections. And I know you brought up environmental protections as a huge issue when we last spoke. Mm. Do you think that's something that's quite compelling? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the argument that uh, Corbyn is making that Britain doesn't want to be a low-tax, low-wage, offshore haven offshore uh, from the European continent has resonated. Uh, people are fearful um, and beginning to realise just how much they might be losing. Not only do they have to um, negotiate approximately 750 international treaties, uh, renegotiate with 160 countries. I mean, this is just mind-blowing. and something that the Conservatives simply weren't frank about, they probably actually didn't even know. Uh, the senior leadership, that that would be the case. But in addition, yes, uh, all of these labour protections, um, the European Union has done quite a lot about protecting, for example, the quality of British beaches, which were pretty terrible when I first went to Britain um, in the early mid-1980s. A lot of them didn't meet WHO standards and and so on. So the EU has been really important in terms of bringing up labour standard protection, um, although that's been an area of a so-called opt-out, but Mm -hmm. in um, in particular environmental protection people are worried about this. Well, uh, I mean, we have spoken to uh, to Fiona Reynolds about the fight for beauty and she's one of the um, key people, uh, conservationists out there. This is part of the fabric of British culture is their their landscape and, uh, and their environment and it really is something which is part of their identity mm-hmm. um, and I think potentially would sway people more as an election issue, though it hasn't really been covered in great depth. No. But one of those key issues as well is fracking and that uh, Jeremy Corbyn opposes fracking but uh, that Theresa May would introduce it. Mm, Frack away. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, um, well, you know, she's... Look, she's trying to appeal through an ad hoc um, menu of policies, uh, none of which are very clearly and deeply articulated, to appeal to a range of quite different constituencies. So this is a very tricky election for her in many ways. There's a lot of people on the, you know, the so-called blue rinse conservative set, um, you know, the over 65s basically, who are the most loyal traditional Tory voters. They love their green space. They like taking, yeah. you know, getting out in their barber jackets and their, oh, yes. and their wellies, wellies on the weekend. In and Yorkshire. Traip- you know, traipsing. With the out. dog. Walker's rights. All, exactly, with the dog and a walking stick. Um, so walker's rights and protecting that green space is really crucial. This is not a country um, that would vote for, for example, the policies that Donald Trump is pursuing and the Republican Party is pursuing. It's a very different uh, sentiment amongst uh, wide numbers of conservatives on environmental mental issues. And that is actually the, one of the most fascinating elements, I mm. think, of this whole campaign and the policy platforms they've put forward. Yeah. No one's pulling, no one wants to pull out of uh, the Paris Agreement in, in the UK, at least except for the loony right. Mm-mm. And Let's also talk about austerity because you mentioned there that we have or the UK has been under austerity for quite a while yeah. and this has really um, solidified the disadvantage and actually increased the gap between the wor- most worse off people and, you know, the very well off top end of town. Yeah. And there is um, a little bit of a difference between Labor and the Conservatives uh, in terms of, well, clearly the Tories are focused on balancing the budget, which is something we, of course, are quite obsessed with over here is this idea of, 
at least not being in the black and then obviously looking towards a surplus, whereas Labor suggests that they would introduce a £250 billion stimulus package over 10 years. Mm. How very Keynesian. Yeah, well, you know, it's needed. Um, yeah. You know, if you go to Britain, um, the infrastructure is not fantastic. It's not quite as bad as the United States. Um, but there's serious underinvestment. We've also got a massive productivity problem, uh, well, across the Western world. And in the UK, they've got it worst. So productivity in the UK has essentially stagnated since about 2005. So this is actually a plausible response to a real problem and a, and a deep-seated structural problem. Now, mm. um Labor would say that this is fully costed um, through increases in tax on the wealthy and on business. So essentially there's a real alternative being offered here and and one that's resonating. Theresa May's inter... She began the election, I think, or she began her prime ministership looking as though she understood the deep-seated causes of Brexit, which I think were fatigue with austerity um, and in effect ended up, you know, many of the cuts to the public services, the NHS as we were talking about a bit earlier, and other core services, um, the deep unemployment, the, the collapse in income. Um, mm. incomes and real, a cap on public sector wages. Absolutely. Real incomes are still lower today than they were um, at the peak before the crisis for most people in the UK, uh, not necessarily at the very top end. So there's um, deep-seated anxiety about economic future, about the state of public services in Britain, and I think that drove effectively what was a protest vote. Now, they blamed it on the wrong actor, the EU, rather than on David Cameron's Conservative Party, which was the author of austerity. And I, I think it was unnecessary austerity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was scare stories about Britain becoming the next Greece and so on and a bond market revolt, that none of which was ever plausible and there was no evidence for this. But they used that effectively to ram through an unnecessarily punitive austerity policy, which is now coming home to roost. And uh, May, I think, calculated along with Linton Crosby that that strong and stable will get the best Brexit deal would be sufficient to push those anxieties aside and I think that's not the case. No and I mean we look at some of the polling and uh about 49% of voters think that the NHS is one of the biggest issues this election. Mm. Whether that is the case remains to be seen because, as we've just discussed, there are many components of this. Mm. But, as you say, services and essential services have been cut and the NHS, uh, which is, I guess, the UK's version of um, Medicare and the public hospital system, really is under threat and has been for quite a long time. Um, And we've seen, you know, uh, huge disagreements between the minister and junior doctors and their conditions and pay. I mean, where are we at with the NHS? And do you think that Labor is offering a significant um, alternative in terms of their approach to it? Yeah, so the NHS is often seen as the crown jewel of uh, the British welfare state and the Beveridge uh, report in 1942 and and so on that established the NHS. NHS. It's different uh, from the Australian system in that it's free at the point of access uh, traditionally and there's been a lot of debate about whether they might have to charge more for doctor's visits and so on. So it is an incredible system that I think, uh, and again, you know, large swathes of the Conservative uh, vote too, are very proud of and wish to protect. Um, now, so again, Corbyn is, uh, this is a very resonant argument here that we need to protect um, 
the NHS, not just through funding, but also through immigration. Uh, so remember the, the extreme dependence of the NHS on imported nurses, above all from the West Indies, Africa and elsewhere. Um, these are under threat by Theresa May's pledge that she will finally um, meet these very stringent, you know, uh, uh, targets for uh, reducing immigration. Um, so there's a so this plays into the migration debate as well. Um, and Corbyn is, you know, signalling very strongly that he won't, uh, or that although he wishes uh, to reduce the amount of net Im- uh, migration into Britain, uh, that he wouldn't allow this to threaten, um, you know, vital public services like the NHS. Mm. We've also seen Theresa May come out uh, and done a bit of a backtrack on something called a so-called dementia tax, yeah. <laughs> an attack on pensioners. Yeah. Um, what really was she putting forward and why did she even do it in the first place? I have no idea what genius came up with this. Yeah. Whether it was Linton Crosby. Certainly Lin- has a ring to it, doesn't Sir it? Sir Linton, I guess we should say. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, um, uh, you know, attacking the core t- traditional blue rinse Tory vote, you know, the over 65s who always turn up and vote, by the way. Um, yes. Uh, and that, that's, a, that's an issue that maybe we should discuss quickly. Yes. But, um, uh, you know, essentially this so-called dementia tax was uh, or would have forced... Um, uh, retirees uh, uh, basically needing uh, end-of-age care uh, to yes. dip into their housing equity um, and potentially to lose their house and therefore not be able to pass it on to their children and so yeah. on. So this was seen as an attack on citizen wealth and, uh, you know, and, and particularly hitting hard uh, the older people who vote uh, in large numbers for the Absolutely. Conservatives. Well, the asset test was really um, £100,000. Yeah, not a I mean, lot. That is nothing in the UK. Yeah, exactly. No, difficult to think. I mean, except in, you know, the extreme far north and in very deprived yes. parts of the inner cities, you you know, you couldn't, uh, you could, you know, wouldn't be enough for a deposit in most places in London. <laughs> no, not even close. No. Um, but, you know, it is about six days out from the election and she's put forward some just this amazing, well, ridiculous... You know, she did a U-turn. Uh, she had to do a U-turn yeah. uh, on this proposal. So very embarrassing. So, Usually. you know, going back to Thatcher, this lady's not for turning. Well, it seems that uh, Theresa May is. So, uh, you know, it immediately undermined the strong and stable, you know, steady hand of the Conservatives. Yes, yeah, so so, you know what you can expect. Yeah. So, you know, the more people see of Theresa May, um, what we've seen over the last 10 days is the polls, um, you know, indicating that people, and particularly on leadership, um, uh, you know, satisfaction with the two leaders, uh, the two main leaders, yeah. Theresa May, the more people see of her, the less impressed they are. And that's mm. a real problem. It is a real problem. I want to just see if I can play a little bit of a clip from a Labor ad. It just brings out the messaging around these key issues around austerity and also a move by Labor to bring in some really socialist language into this discussion. So bear with me. I'm just going to see if I can make it work here. We know we live in a land with riches for all. We know the health worker and firefighter contribute no less than the stockbroker and merchant banker. We know there is no chief executive or shareholder value without the worker. We know that wealth, privilege and power are carved up in obscene fashion. We have had enough. We have had enough. We've had enough. We demand health, work, home, education and care in time of need. 
not subject to grand profiteering, but planned, transparent, executed in efficient fashion under democratic control. Using our intelligence and imagination. We demand the full fruits of our labour. We demand the right to contribute and recognise the obligation to share. Power concedes nothing without demand. It never did and it never will. We have one short, precious life. We demand a chance to be all that we can. I mean, is that not the most amazing turnaround in messaging that you've ever heard for a progressive party? Yeah, incredible. And what it signals is, um, you know, so what we're seeing here is the demise of neoliberalism in Britain. Britain has been at the very forefront since Thatcher was elected in 1979, at the forefront of this neoliberal wave uh, in Western politics. And Britain, um, Britain's welfare state policies, its labour market deregulation, its financial deregulation above all, the epitome of this, um, is increasingly called into question, not only by Labour. So let's remember that May herself um, has effectively signalled a drift away from neoliberalism and reviving old notions of industrial policy, which were central to Conservative Party doctrine in the 50s and 60s, um, a, a country that works for all, reviving old notions of so-called one-nation Toryism. But it's tentative. And this is an area where, you know, Jeremy Corbyn has some real uh, credibility, but mm-hmm. Theresa May and, you know, a lot of voters must be thinking, gosh, these people were talking a very different tune just you know, a year ago. So, you know, how deep is this shift? Well, he's really just put all his cards on the table there. And and that discussion around power and control and demand and the worker, I mean, this is very much a social democracy discussion from much, much before. It is, and and possibly a social democracy discussion for the future. So this is giving, you know, we had Bernie Sanders' uh, campaign um, last year in, in the United States, which resonated among surprisingly large numbers of people. Some people even think that he might have won uh, had he beat uh, Hillary Clinton for the nomination. So we're we're living in very interesting times. We see in France Emmanuel Macron, um, you know, very much in the centre and still very much aligned with that neoliberal deregulatory agenda. But, of course, France is in a very different place to Britain, much larger welfare state in many ways back where Britain was when Thatcher came into power. Britain, however, has been through a pretty extreme 30 years in which the Labour Party under Tony Blair and Gordon Brown embraced the core principles of Thatcherism. Mm. And now I think that's coming home to roost, not only for the Labour Party, but also uh, even for the Conservatives. So it's very interesting times. And I suspect Britain actually could once again become a trendsetter in politics. I'm not predicting a Labour victory. No. But I think Corbyn's going to do a lot better than anyone thought. Yeah. Well, he's going to do a huge amount of damage, at least to the the level of majority that they could have. Mm. Let's just quickly talk about what will happen potentially. You did reference the vote and this, as we know, it's not compulsory. People don't have to vote. And as we saw with Brexit, younger people didn't get out to vote in the numbers that they should have. And you've also uh, mentioned off air that it's changed over time so that the youth vote was fairly comparable to um, other age brackets. What do you think is going to happen if the youth don't turn out, I mean, Labor is clearly going to struggle. Yeah. But if they, if this is energising enough, do you think that they have 
a shot at minority government. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we just don't know because the polls uh, traditionally in Britain, um, particularly over the last three decades, (laughs) have been terrible. Not that Um, accurate. So, yeah, uh, there's a deep degree of uncertainty. So all we can say is what we've seen on average is about a 10% swing over since the time that the election was announced, only three weeks ago, towards Labor. And that's nothing that either side, uh, indeed any side in politics, expected. Now, what we don't... So what's underlying that swing? It's the youth vote, which has increasingly been mobilised, or I should say the youth sentiment, because we don't yet know whether they will vote uh, in favour of Labour, about 70% of under-25s in favour of Labour, and women, interestingly, shifting away from May and towards Corbyn. Now, um, the crucial thing is that, as you say, in the Brexit vote particularly, but not only that, in the previous five or so elections, the youth vote collapsed compared to where it was uh, up until about the 1970s. What we don't know, so many many uh, under-25s regret, of course, not having turned up to vote now uh, in yes, Brexit. Yes, absolutely. We also know that the polling um, has adjusted Um, because they're trying to deal with all of these past failures to predict the outcome. All we can say, I think, um, and, you know, Nate Silver's 538 um, side is something I read from time to time. His view is that basically what we're at is the Conservatives are ahead by 7% and the error is plus or minus 10%. So we could end Mm. up... um, We could end up either with a Tory landslide or with a Labour Party minority government. And it's fascinating and exciting at the same time. Yeah, Yeah, well, thank you, Andrew. It's just been uh, wonderful to traverse the the many issues that are facing the UK at the the moment. Um, I can't wait to see what happens on Thursday. Yeah, Yeah. let's see. Yeah. Thanks, Amy. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. That was Professor Andrew Walter, Interim Director at the Melbourne School of Government.